I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn again with me back to a little study that we started last week in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Now, if you were with us last week, we only covered the first verse. If the Lord wills, we're going to do a lot more today. We'll finish all of chapter 1. We'll push the accelerator down a little bit because last week I felt it necessary to cover a lot of introductions so we understood the birth of this church. So as you've opened your Bibles now to 1 Thessalonians, I think I'll go back up to verse 1 and then let me read this whole chapter for us today. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's just pray again together. Uh, Fathers, we look at this passage of scripture, we, we really see the effects that can happen when a community of people hear the gospel and receive that gospel. And the gospel transforms their lives, changing them, and then allows them to share the gospel and affect an entire area. And as we read this and now have it taught to us, May we not just listen for the sake of information or entertainment, but may the same thing take place here again today through the power of your Holy Spirit. May we look to see what your word has to say and may you change us and change lives here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me begin with a true story. In 1949, a man by the name of John courier was convicted of murder and he was sentenced to life in prison. Shortly after that, he was sent to a work farm just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. In 1968, about 19 years later, John Currier's sentence was terminated because of parole he had made for good behavior. So he was declared a free man. A document was drafted up, and it was sent 
but it never got to John Courier. And so for 10 more years, he labored at this farm with no hope of release and no desire to continue to work. It was in 1978 when a parole officer was filing through some papers, he saw this document that John Courier had been declared released, and that his, his sentence had been terminated, and he was a free man. Now that's, a, that's a wonderful word picture of what we call the gospel. All of us have broken the law. We've broken God's Ten Commandments, whether it's through lying or stealing or taking God's name in vain. And as a result, all of us have been sentenced, not just a, a prison of sin, but also to an eternity in hell. But God sent His Son Jesus to terminate our sentence that we could be deemed forgiven of our sin and be declared free of it. And there is good news that is presented to us today, and it is the purpose or one of them of our church and every other gospel preaching church to declare that good news. Now, now let me just spend some time today, because I think this passage does this, to give you an overview of what I'm just going to call the progression of the gospel in a person's life. The flow of the gospel. In human life, we go from a baby to a little boy or a girl to a a young man or a young woman, and and often that leads to being a husband or wife and then a a father or a, a mother and then a grandparent. There's a natural progression of life, but there is also a flow or a progression of the gospel. We receive the gospel. I'm going to call that gospel in. The gospel transforms our life. I'm going to call that gospel change. And then there is a gospel that goes out from our life. I'm going to call that gospel out. And I think we see all of that here in the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. So look with me again here at what I'm calling gospel in. Now, if you were with us last week, you know the specifics. We covered Acts chapter 17, the first nine verses that tell the story of how this church came into being. Now, Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy are going to provide another perspective of that. Look with me at, at chapter 1, verse 4. It says here, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And so these verses speak of how the gospel came in to these new Christians' lives. You see it there in verse 4. For we know brothers. I think this is a significant word for us. Uh, The moment a person becomes a Christian, that man or that woman, that boy or a girl, become a part of a family, a family of faith. You know, it's no coincidence that when one is baptized here in this baptistry, the words that we often say, 
fact, it was just a few weeks ago that we had some people that we were baptizing. And the last person that we baptized was my oldest son, Abe. And I remember saying to him, I baptize you, my, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, why would I call him my brother? He's my son, right? But the moment we become Christians, we enter into this family. And he is not only my son, but he is also my brother in Christ as well. And so just remind ourselves, loved ones, that we are family here. We also see here in verse 4, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Now wait a minute. Is it God who chooses me? Or did I choose God? And I think the Bible says yes to that. Certainly we see here in this verse where there is this election. There is this choosing of which God has identified these people within Thessalonica. And he says, you are mine. I appreciate what that old pastor Charles Spurgeon had to say about this doctrine. He said, I believe the doctrine of election. Because I'm quite certain that if God had not chosen me, I should have never chosen him. And I'm sure he chose me before I was born, or else he never would have chosen me afterwards. He must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, for I never could find in myself why, should, why he should have loved or looked upon me with special love. So I am forced to accept that great biblical doctrine of election. So yes, God did choose, and yet man is responsible. Verse 5 also tells us, because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. So when this message, this message of liberation was offered to the people there in Thessalonica, that you no longer need to be a slave to the presence and power of sin, as it was delivered, it wasn't just like it was a mailman offering a message. But you'll notice here what it says. It says that it came not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit does is he takes the scriptures and he makes them clear for us to understand them and then he brings conviction in our lives. As I was thinking about this, I thought of one of the men in our church. I've asked his permission to share this. I love to hear people's story of how they came to faith in Christ. And we have a man among us. His name is Ed. I don't see him here this morning, so hi, Ed. I'm hoping you're watching online. And if you've ever heard his testimony, him and his wife, Kathy, were invited repeatedly to come to Highland Crest. One day, they kind of wore down and says, okay, we're going to go to Highland Crest. And, and while they came, Pastor Jim Downs was preaching from this area right here, opening his Bible, and he was just preaching the Scriptures to them, verse by verse. Ed has said to himself, I've never experienced anything like that. So after the service, Ed and Kathy went out to their vehicle out in the parking lot, and one asked, what did you think of that? And Ed said, I don't know who this guy is, but he knows my heart and he knows my soul and he knows what everything is going on in my life. He was speaking to me today. 
And if you would have asked Pastor Jim, did, did you know what was going on in Ed's life? I, likely he would have said no. All I was doing is I was just preaching the word and the Holy Spirit takes the word and it applies it specifically to his life. Can anyone identify with that? Does he not do that? And if you are reading through the Bible program as we're working through that this year, and and you get to interact and you see people's comments, who is it that comments so frequently? It's Ed Belair. That man is still reading the Scriptures, and God is still speaking to him as he did that first day under Pastor Jim's preaching. And that is how it works. But you'll also notice, as this gospel is coming in, the gospel is believed and received. There is a powerful gospel witness is when one's life matches their message. The last part of that verse 5 says, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. This message came with full conviction. These men, that was Timothy, that was Silas, and that was Paul, as they came to deliver this message of liberation, you no longer need to be in sin, they really believed that message. They were convinced, they were convicted by it. But listen to this, it's really important for us to hear. Their life matched the message. So that when they shared it, these Thessalonians could say, you know, these guys really believe this. And I'm seeing their lives bear witness to this message. Now, can God just use His Word and the Holy Spirit be applied to it and bring transformation? Yes. What book did we just finish with? Jonah, right? And there was a guy that I think was just a delivery man. He just brought this message, and God blessed that preaching. But it is a dynamic witness when you and I have a life that matches this message. So that is the gospel in. That's kind of telling the story of how these Christians received the gospel. Now what happens? The second thing we see here is there is gospel change. That is, the gospel transforms a life. You're familiar with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 that says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This past January or so, we had a nice snowfall, and so we got our little four-wheeler out, and I was pulling the boys along in their sleds, and we were tearing up and down our driveway in the snow and in the fields, trying to lose them. And at one point, our four-wheeler just bogged down. I was like, what in the world? And, and it, it would idle, but when I accelerated, it would just die. I'm like, oh, this is great. What am I going to do here? And, and so I thought, you know, before, before I maybe try to take this carburetor apart, or better yet, try to find someone else to take this carburetor apart. I remember, I remember someone in our church who works on vehicles a lot. He says, you know, this, this seafoam stuff really works. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dump a bunch of that, this gas treatment in it, and let it idle. And when that got in the engine, and it began to work its way in that engine, in that carburetor, you know what happened? It broke it free. 
and it ran the way that it was intended. And when the gospel enters our life, the stuff that has clogged us up from what we are supposed to live and supposed to find our fulfillment in, it it allows us to, to live out our destiny. We would see here, one one commentator has said this, that there are two really important days for a Christian. It's It's good for us to get this. Ready? The first is the day that when the good news has come to us, that we are no longer in sin, but we can live liberated from sin, we receive that good news. That's, that's day one. That is an important day for a Christian. But let me tell you of a second really important day for a Christian. It's when you and I realize the benefits that come with that gospel. Sometimes we don't understand all that comes with when we are declared with that good news. You have been set free from sin. How it has changed our identity. How that gospel comes into our life and changes our heart and our identity to the point where our relationships change, our priorities change, and we've been set free from sinful habits. And we have a choice now to live out in obedience to God. The Thessalonians were living out that gospel. They were not secret service Christians. Rather, their conversion and all true gospel conversion produced results. And we look here in verses 2 and 3. Paul said, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So there are three different fruits. There are three different evidences here that these people of Thessalonica had become followers of Jesus. The first is they had a faith that worked. A faith that worked. These Thessalonians were not just Christians, but they were Christians that produced good works. There's only one kind of Christian, one that bears gospel fruit. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what did their fruit look like? What was it that was different about these Thessalonians? I think if we look at chapter 1, verse 9, we would see the answer to that. For they, these are those people around you, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. This is how the gospel is giving evidence in your life There's a way of life that you used to have following idols, but now you are serving the one and true living God. They they had a life of repentance. Have you ever heard the name Patrick Reynolds? Patrick's life ambition is to go around the world and proclaim the dangers of smoking and the effects of smoke in your lungs. Patrick Reynolds. Does that name ring a bell, that last name Reynolds? He had a grandfather whose name was R.J. Reynolds, a tobacco tycoon. Camel cigarettes, Newport cigarettes, and a host of others come from this R.J. Reynolds company. Well, this grandson had a father that died 
from smoking. And his story represents repentance. At one time, our family, my life was going in this direction, but I've made it my ambition to go in the exact opposite direction, away, away from that. And when we follow God, we move away from our own pursuits, and then we begin to pursue the one and true living God. It's a faith that works. This gospel change was not only in the faith, the gospel change was also in a love. And so you see it there in the next part of verse 3. It was a, your work of faith and a labor of love. If I were to ask you, what is the great commandment that all of us are, have been left with? It is to love God, right? It is to love others. And in Galatians chapter 5, we are left with a list of what happens when the Holy Spirit comes within us. It provides fruit, fruits of the Spirit. And what is at the top of that list? The first one is love. So these Thessalonians not only had a change in their heart away from idols and towards God, but there was a love for God and for others. And we see here in verse 3 that it was a labor of love. This word in the Greek, ardeus, speaks of working to the point of exhaustion, of being weary because they are loving others. Romans 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through a Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When you became a Christian, you received God's love. It has been poured into you. For my birthday last summer, I, I took some birthday money and I bought a pressure washer. And, and it's been fun to use for various reasons, but sometimes just in the last few weeks, just spray our car down or something like that to try to clean it. But as I've thought about that pressure washer, there is a garden hose that gets connected to the input there, and it offers a steady stream of water. But if that pressure washer is working the way it should, right, there's a nozzle then that I can spray for con- constructive reasons. And it's a word picture, I think, of God's love being poured into us, but it's not to stay there in that pressure washer. It's to be useful to others and serve other purposes. And as God's love has been poured into us, we are to extend that flow of the gospel, that flow of love to others. And the third thing we see here is not only a, a, a faith that works, a a love that labors, but also a hope that is steadfast. We see it there at the last part of verse 3. And a steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you remember from last week, when this church was established, it was established in a crisis. If you would have looked, hey, uh, where's, where's the pastor's office? There was no pastor's office. He had been chased out of that church after just a few weeks. There was affliction there. Look with me what it says at chapter 1, verse 6 here. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Despite this church being birthed in turbulent soil, there was a hope that they had. There was a joy that they had. And where was that from? Because they realized that the good news had sounded forth and that they were not in slavery anymore, 
the good news had come and said, Jesus has come to liberate you from sin. And you can now live out and you can follow him. So there was a hope. And what was that hope tied to? If you look with me at verse 10, it speaks about Jesus' second coming. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Hope was being able to look beyond the circumstances that they had and realize that Jesus was coming and he was going to make all this mess right. It is Leon Morris, one commentator, who says, Hope is not a quiet, passive resignation, but an active constancy in the face of difficulties. They were waiting for Jesus' return. So again, the gospel comes into a person's life. And then that gospel begins to change and transform their heart, making them into whom God wants them to be, as exhibited by faith that works, a love that labors, and a hope that is steadfast. But the gospel doesn't stop there. The gospel then goes out from that believer. As we see here, gospel out, the gospel is to be shared. Now, how old is the church at Thessalonica at this point? Ten years? Five years? Just a few months. The gospel has come in. The gospel is transforming. And now let us read about how the gospel is going out from this church. It says in verse 6, 7, and 8, And you became imitators of us, and of the Lord. For you received the word in which much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. That word example there in verse 7 is a magnificent word. In the Greek word, it's the word tupas. It's where we get our word type. Now, young people, before there were computers and iPads and phones, there was something called a typewriter. Say it with me. Typewriter. Yes, that's right. And, and I can remember being in junior high and typing class. We would get a, a piece of paper. You would put it in this roller. And then you would start putting your fingers in the home roll. I think that's what that was called. And, and then there would be this arm that would go out. And there would be this printer ribbon and this paper. And it would go wham, 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 wham. And, and it would not only put print on the paper... But if you would take the, the paper out, what would happen? It would be imprinted into that paper, right? Do you see what Paul is saying about these Thessalonians? That their gospel witness, as the gospel has come into them, as the gospel is changing them, and people are watching them, wham, 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 wham. We use this word like this, don't we? That person left an, in, an impression on me. And that's the idea. That the way they've lived, what they had to say to me, man, that was, I'm not going to forget that. And here are these Christians for just a few months, and they were leaving impressions on people around them. But not only that, look with me here what it says in verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you 
in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. That word sounded in verse 8 is the word that we use for echo. So as these new Christians has received the gospel, gospel in, as it's been transforming their life, this was echoing throughout the region. It was like, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. So much to the point, as it says there in verse 8, Paul and Timothy and Silas, they didn't even go out and share because by the time they got the new people, the messages had already echoed to their area. That's powerful. And here's what I want you to understand today. This is Gospel 101. This is not Thessalonian church that's way up here. This is what it's supposed to be like, loved ones. The Gospel comes in. The Gospel changes us. And while the Gospel is continuing to change us, the Gospel goes out. That's the church. That's that's the progression. That's the flow of the Gospel. Even a new Christian can leave an impression and spread their faith to those around them. So let me just conclude with this. Where do you see yourself here? I'm, I'm hoping that we have some people with us today that are like, I'm, I'm still exploring this. We, you are welcome to be with us. Thank you for opening your Bible. Thank you for looking on your device and reading along with me. The gospel has come to you. And, and as John Courier heard Long ago, you've been set free. You do not need to be in sin anymore. Someone has come to die in your place. That news is for you today as well. You can be born again. You can have a new start in life. You can have your sins forgiven. But you must repent. You must have Jesus as king of your life and let him rule your life. You've been set free from the master of sin to have a new master, Jesus. Or maybe you find yourself in this process of gospel change and, and God is identifying something in you. How is the fruit in your life? Is your faith working? Is your love laboring? Is your hope steadfast? And you know what? May the, may the word of God be applied by the Spirit, and if He brings conviction in your heart, that's a good thing. Confess your sin. May God, by His grace, change you, change your attitude again. Yes, the gospel changes. Let us not just stay in that second spot because the, the flow of the gospel then is that the gospel goes out from us. Imagine you had the privilege of going to Mr. Courier and saying to him, I got great news for you. You don't need to be here anymore. You've been set free. Your penalty has been canceled. Now go. Experience this new life, a new life of freedom. We've been given the privilege of sharing that message of freedom from sin, of freedom from death, of freedom from hell. And Do you display the same excitement to be able to do that by sharing this message? Maybe you could use some help with that. I remind you, two weeks from today, we'll be offering an evangelism course that we all need a refresher. 
on how to share the gospel most effectively. We all need to look around and see our friends and family and neighbors and, and see them the way God sees them. And may God use this course, beginning Resurrection Sunday, for the next six weeks after that, to get us excited and equip us to do just that. So for application, are you a seeker? Receive this news of liberation. Repent from your sins. To the Christian, allow this gospel to continue to transform you and then share this news with others. Let's pray together. Father, we appreciate just seeing the big picture here in chapter 1. We don't need to complicate this. The great news has gone, gone forth. Liberation. Sins have been forgiven. May it, may it go forth from our church. May it take place in our heart where there's a transformation, there's love, there's hope, there's faith that's being demonstrated. And may you be glorified in this process. Lord, I pray for those that are just seeking still. May you call them. May it be said of them that you chose them to be in the family. And the rest that are Christians here today, may we be encouraged to apply the gospel more to our lives and to share it with others. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a great song that we sing. There is a Redeemer. And if you think about what a Redeemer is, it's one who purchases a prisoner that set them free. I think it ties in well with our message this morning. So let's just sing a little bit of this song together. There is a Redeemer.